What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring and we would stop listening. But God is not boring and neither are his songs, which means we can come to him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who he is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for his good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in his songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. to being done with our series in the Psalms, uh, in this series, Songs of Freedom. It's so funny. When we create those videos, we're all excited about them, and then we're like week 14, and it's like, oh, I see the mistake I made there. I see the mistake I made there. You know, when you have to see something over and over again that you like could have done a little better on, but you ran out of time, super fun to watch over and over and over again. Well, I'm uh, Pastor Dale. I'm the lead pastor of City Life Church. Um, we have been around for three years in southeast San Diego, and it's just our honor and pleasure to be here. Um, today's message is entitled Enduring Love, and we're going to be in Psalm 100. And uh, sometimes I feel like joy, true, unadulterated joy from God, can feel like a burden. Now, what does that mean? Is it truly a burden? Um, the thing is, I feel like I've been blessed beyond measure in Christ, and I want everyone to know about it. The amount of times um, that I felt this burden, it's just consistent and constant. Wherever I go, I see people that I think, I hope that they have the joy that I get to have in Christ. Now, sometimes people will say, you know, you can be nice to people, you can be kind to people, you can do things for people, but don't try to make them believe what you believe. I get that. We're in San Diego, right? Like, everybody's feelings are all about their vibes, and we believe what I believe. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But here's the thing. If what I believe is true, if, what I, if, if I truly believe what I believe, um, then I think that if I don't have a burden for the entire world, then there's a problem, Right? If what we truly believe is real, if we believe Jesus is the only way to the Father, then there must be a burden, right? Which means that even though God is sitting on the throne, there is a piece of it for us as well. That means when I go to a Padre game and I look at the people around me, I think about those who suffer apart from Jesus. Now, it's not me trying to impose something on them. It's me thinking how much I care and love them. It means when I go to the beach and I'm surrounded by people, I think about how much God loves those people and how much he desires a relationship with those people, it's a burden. 
means when we're downtown at the water park, I want to meet everybody that's around me because I want to tell them about Jesus. Now, some people will always see that as imposing yourself on someone. But if we truly believe what we believe, and if we have that burden from God, then this is a good thing. A desire to see the whole earth praise God is not a bad thing. Today, uh, we are going to be in Psalm 100. And uh, it begins by saying, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. The whole earth. What does that mean? Um, is that hyperbole? Is that just, is that trying to illustrate a point? Or is there something to be said about having a desire for everyone to claim Jesus as Lord? Now, we know that not everyone will, but having a desire and a burden for them, uh, that, that can be something that is truly from God. Now, when we get to Psalm 100, uh, we have Bibles available in the back. If you don't have one, they're available for you. You can take one, borrow it, you can keep it. Um, we're going to be reading from Psalm 100, and it's a short verse. And so, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get out of here early. Maybe not, but Psalm 100. And before I read, I want you to look at, um, at it. So it's poetry, right? Psalm 100 is poetry. And um, I want you to see how it's written. Basically, what happens is, is uh, starting in verse 2, you have three commands, and then you have a why. Three commands, and then a why. And then again in verse 4, you have three commands, and then you have a why you should do what God is telling you to do. So I just want you to be aware that it's poetry, it's music, it's something beautiful that God has written uh, through people, and we get to celebrate it. And it's always good for us to understand um, why it's written that certain way. And so God has written it this way uh, so that we might understand better. So let me read to you Psalm 100. Nice and short, friends. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Okay, that was do three things, and then it said why. Now let's keep going again. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. Friends, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this cool place we get to come and praise your name, and I thank you for the actual air conditioning because I remember about a year ago when it was not working, and uh, I'm refreshed, so thank you, Lord. Um, but matter of fact, God, we, we thank you for the awesome place that we get to live in San Diego. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place where we get to go to the ocean and the mountains and all the other things around us where the temperatures, while we consider them hot, would not be considered hot almost anywhere else in the United States right now. But God, we also know that as beautiful, as wonderful, as glorious as San Diego is, there are people suffering right now in our city, on our streets, in our neighborhoods. They're hiding it. They're open with it. Um, but there are many struggling, God. We know there are many suffering from mental illness today from drug and alcohol abuse, from physical abuse, from hunger. And God, we ask that you would be their comforter, that you would give us clear direction where we should go to help them, Lord, because we know that that burden is from you. God, we desire that all would know you and worship you. But God, when our faith is constantly mocked in our presence, it's hard to remember that our hope is found in you. God, would you remind us today, Lord, Perhaps some in the room need to hear it for the first time. Either way, God, I ask that you would be glorified in our presence this morning. 
May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys will find that today's psalm is much like the psalm we did last week with some important differences. So last week, we did Psalm 95. And kind of what it did is it said, praise God, praise him. And here's why. He created the heavens and the earth and the depths and the mountains and the seas. Well, today, it's very similar. It's saying, praise God. That's, a, that's a, something you're going to see in the Psalms a lot, right? We've kind of been through it at this point. I've tried to pick different styles, but here, once again, we see praise God, serve God, worship God. But here are the differences. Um, well, first off, I, I think you'll notice that it's, it's similar, right? And, and it's because we're preaching through a book, and almost all books in the Bible often have a very central theme that's woven throughout, and it's okay for us to see similar things. Um, when our church first started, we decided to do a series on Acts. It's called Awkward Church. And when we did this series on Acts, we had no idea um, that when we studied it that we would find the central theme often of Acts was suffering can be from God. Suffering can glorify God. Suffering can drive us to God, and we can worship him through that. And it was hard to read that because it was like they would rejoice because they had suffered. And it was like, okay, that's cool for one message, right? Like, that's not going to bring a lot of people into a church. Hey, suffering can be from God. Or, hey, suffering can drive you to God. Those are not things that we would be excited to say. Matter of fact, uh, I don't really want to say that to someone who's suffering, do you? (laughs) Um, Here, we will find a repeated theme, and it is to worship and praise God. And I will just say that I much prefer preaching on that than, hey, guys, let's suffer. All right, see you next week. (laughs) Or not, because uh, we've preached it six times in a row. Um, suffering is not the subject today. Praise the Lord. So we have uh, two commands today um, from Psalm 100, and we have one why. And so our first command is this, cheerfully serve God and give him his due. Verse uh, two says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Some things need to be praised. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had like something really good, it needs to be praised. I can tell you that when I eat food with my wife, she is very annoyed because I need her to try something that I love, okay? She doesn't like adobada, but like every place we go that has adobada, she has to try it. She doesn't like other certain foods, but I'm always, I always have this idea like, this is so dang good, honey, I need you to try it. I don't know what it is, but there's an infectiousness about something that is good and worthy to be praised. When I first read a book called Blue Like Jazz, um, I was pro- it was probably like 2005, 2006. Um, I'm not telling you you have to go read this book now, but when I first read this book, I was like, dang, this is amazing, because what it did is it took out some of the religiosity of Jesus and some of the beauty and the faith in God. And it encouraged me. And so you know what I did? Is I bought like 25 copies and I gave them out to my family and friends. And if you go to their houses now, you will still find perfectly pristine copies of these books (laughs) that they've never read. But uh, I also read it aloud to my dad in the hospital when he was very sick. And my dad came to know Jesus using that book. 
And so once again, it just reignited a flame for that book for me because I wanted to tell everybody about how amazing this book was. Matter of fact, I actually got to go to a thing where the guy was speaking, Donald Miller, who, who wrote it. And I, I went to Donald Miller and I said, my dad came to Jesus because of this book. And I started crying and I think I might have hugged him. I don't know, it was really awkward. But he signed it to me and my dad and I still have a copy of that book. The thing is, great things must be praised. I think God's made us that way, right? If you see, experience something beautiful, it's even better when it's with someone else. That's just the way it works. So early on, I would read things like this, though, and I would think God is so egotistical. Why has he got to be praised? But the more I've learned that great things need praise, they have to be. So what's, what's the thing? What is so great about God? Well, here it's saying why, to, why we should praise him. It's saying because he made us. And it's saying we are his people. We are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. Something is beautiful about him making us and not walking away from us. In our world, we are surrounded by men who want to pass on their genetic material and get out. Just to know that they can create something and leave. But that's not from God, is it? Because God creates children and God follows through. That's who God is. Now, if, if you're a father like that, uh, it, here's the thing. God is still in love with you. But when we look to the ultimate example, God created us and stayed with us. He never left us. He never, for, he never, he never left us. He's not an absent father. But if God calls us his people and we still suffer, what does that mean? says he made us and we are his. It means that he is with us in the midst of those things, right? Going back to that Acts series. Now here's, here's my question. Um, should you give that advice to your friends? That God is going to be present with you in your suffering, so let's just rejoice and praise God. I would actually draw you to a different verse. I would draw you to the Psalms where there is suffering. The thing is, we tend to curse God when things are going badly, don't we? Like, why did you bring me here? Why did you make me lose that person? Why am I suffering? But when things go well in our lives, oftentimes, what do we say? I earned this. I worked hard for this. Maybe I'm the only one who does that, but that's what we do sometimes. And we may think we are alone in this, but here's the thing that is far from truth. Pastor Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, some men live as if they made themselves. They called themselves self-made men. But Christians recognize the origin of their being and their well-being and take no honor to themselves either for being or for being what they are. Neither in our first or second creation dare we put so much as a finer upon the glory, for it is the sole right and property of the Almighty. In the same way, in Matthew 28, it says this, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know this one, right? But what does he say next? teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. God is present. And that is why he's worth celebrating. He's not just a good God who created the mountains. He's not just a good God who made the depths. He's a good God who's present in our suffering, in our joy, in our celebrations, in our worship, when we sleep, when we rise. God is a present God. And he watches over us. What a good God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so we respond with praise. Now, when our, our church first started, 
we had about like 10 to 12 people meeting in a backyard. Um, and it was kind of weird because, you know, we had drive-bys during the service. That was awkward. You know, we got the license plate even. I mean, it was kind of weird. And so what would happen is, um, like, we had all these rules set up, rules that we still have today, rules about keeping things safe, right? So uh, say we had 15 people. We had one speaker. Okay, now there's 14 people out there. All right. Now, now we subtract the kids, okay? Now uh, we had five kids. So now we have nine people <laughs> that I'm preaching to. Um, now let's subtract the two kids workers because we always have two people with the kids. We never want kids alone with one person. We want safety. Now we have seven people. Now one person goes to the bathroom. We got six. Okay, now someone gets a call. There's five. We were tiny, right? I mean, some of you may feel like this is really small, but we were tinier, much tinier. Um, now how do you think it felt when I had a friend that called me and said, hey, bro, I want to be there. I'm going to come and visit your church today. We had friends from Kansas, we had friends from Orange County, we had friends from San Diego, and they just said, hey, I just want to come visit. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that would feel so amazing. It was glorious. Those like three visitors that were friends meant so much to me because it felt like, you know, A, I get to talk to five people. At what point do I need to just like, I don't know, just sit down, you know, go sit with them and talk to them? You know, it came like that. And so what would happen is the presence of my friends encouraged me. They were there for my earlier, even more awkward messages, but it meant the world to me. Do you think I ignored them after the service? Heck no. If my friends came to be a part of this and encourage us and support us, their presence meant so much to me, you've got to believe I would take them to Umberto's and I would buy them some carne asada fries. And if that's, if that's bribery, then so be it, because <laughs> I was so happy to praise them for their presence. It meant so much to me that they were there. Many of you were there. Not many, because there weren't <laughs> many. Um, so I praise them. And how does the psalm say to respond? We serve God with gladness. And let me just say, um, when it says we serve him with gladness, there are absolutely places you can serve God here on Sundays. We always need help with children as we background check you. We need help with setup, with the worship team, prayer, greeting and teardown, etc. We need help with those things. We always will. Um, but it goes beyond that, right? It goes beyond Sundays, right? It goes beyond anything a church organizes. Who around you that you are aware of right now is lonely? Who is hurting? Who needs the very presence of Jesus to be made manifest through your love and your care and your compassion and your prayers? We serve God by loving those around us today. And when we worship and we serve God, something incredible happens. And that's our second point, is that we bless his name. Okay, so bless God. We bless God's name. So that's our second point. We bless his name. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. When we worship and thank God, we give him great joy. How cool is that? Now, the Hebrew term here for bless is actually barak, um, which is a very similar term for the word knee or kneel. I was going to try a kneel, but I got hurt surfing, and so I'm just going to let you guys just imagine it. It's used over 300 times in the Old Testament, that term barak or kneel, often referring to us being blessed by God. But there's a few other times in the Bible where it actually says we bless him. How cool is that? Can we like just think about that? Because what do we say that he's done? 
Okay, we say that he's made the mountains last week, right? He made the very depths. And we, we looked at like what that meant, and that was like 12 miles height and depth difference. Hey, God made those things. He made the roaring oceans. He made the sea, Psalm 93, 4, right? And then it says that when we worship, when we praise him, when we serve God, that we actually bless his name. The creator of the earth, we bless his name when we serve him. Have we considered the ways that it gives him joy? Perhaps it is our willingness to make him a priority in our lives that makes him smile. Perhaps as we make him central to our lives, we can consider how he feels about it. So often we consider the fact that worship is for us. Why do we consider that? Because worship makes us feel good. Praising God makes us feel good. And I'm going to say that he put that in us. I don't think it's a bad thing. But isn't it cool to consider the idea, maybe just maybe, that our worship is beautiful to him, that our songs make him smile? What a great idea. Perhaps as we make him central, we consider how he feels about it when he's receiving the glory. Now, why do we give him glory, right? Not just because he's created the mountains, not just because he's created the depths. We give him glory because he has done everything for us. And this is the gospel. We will always talk about this. That in our need, that in our sin, that in our struggles, in our willingness to fight against him, we were made enemies with God because we chose our own path. But what did he say? Did he write us off? Did he say we're done? No. The Father sent his son Jesus. Jesus willingly came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life as a sacrifice for us. If you believe this is easy to leave perfection and come to earth where you would experience disease, hate, pain, where you would be powerless in many ways by choice, Jesus came to this earth and was spat upon. His beard was pulled out. He was nailed to a cross and he willingly surrendered his life as a sacrifice so that you might have life. That debt is paid The debt we have to God by being his enemies is paid by the sacrifice of Jesus. When he died and rose again, the debt is paid. And what does that mean for us? That means we have the opportunity to choose him as Lord of our life, acknowledge him as Lord of our life, and he says that he loves us. But but we don't just go from enemies to not enemies. We go from enemies to family. That's so good, friends, that he desires for you to be in his family. And even if you feel right now, as a believer, you feel like you're a family member that's sitting outside the house. You just feel like you're not welcome right now in his home. I tell you, that is not true. Because his sacrifice was bigger than any sin you could ever commit. How important is that to remember? There is no sin too big for the cross. There's no sin too big for the sacrifice of Jesus. What good news that is. Because you know what? We are pros at sin, aren't we? So we know this is why we bless his name. This is why we cheerfully give him his due, because of the gospel, right? Because of the gift of Jesus Christ that was given for us. So how do we respond? We bless his name. Now, what does it look like to bless his name? What does it look like to give joy to God's heart? Well, I think about Christmas presents, okay? Um, Parents, you scrimp. You save. You find coupons. You get there early at the Toys R Us. I guess that's not a thing anymore. But you get there early because you want to get that gift for your kid. 
you save, you do all these things, it is a sacrifice for you. And your kids run downstairs or come into the the room where the Christmas tree is. They rush. And then what happens Christmas morning, right? The wrapping paper flies everywhere. The kids are opening the presents. Now, if it's my wife's family, like we all look at each person open each present. If it's my family, you just see a tornado, okay? Um, That's the family I grew up in. Tornado of wrapping paper. Have you ever had, like, when your kids were like, oh, oh, this is the red one? I kind of wanted the, the, the green one. You know, and you're like, do you know that I, on Black Friday, was waiting overnight to get that for you? Did you know that I might have had to punch somebody? No, we'll talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. But I worked so hard to get this gift for you. I sacrificed. I didn't eat out for weeks so that you could get this gift. And you're saying you want the green one? You want to smack a kid, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating smacking kids. But what I'm saying is, is there are times when a kid will open a present and they will not show any true thanksgiving for what you have truly given them. But what happens when your child opens up a gift and they have great thanksgiving? What happens to your heart when your child... Um, goes on that bike that that you tried to build all night and you have like seven extra pieces and you're frustrated trying to put it together, what happens when they go out and they're just on the bike all day? What happens when six months later they're on that bike? Doesn't it just fill you with pride? Doesn't it fill you with joy to realize that this gift that you worked so hard to give your kids, that they appreciate it? Oh, that's the same way God is, right? Now, God is more patient with us than I am with my children. God's not mad at us when we don't worship. But we have been given a beautiful gift, and really it should be shouted from the rooftops. This gospel is so worth speaking joyfully about constantly. In Luke 19, 38 through 40, Jesus is coming into town. This is like his last trip into town before Jesus is going to be killed on the cross, right? He is aware that he's going to be killed. But those in town only see him as the coming king who's going to free them from the physical bondage of Rome, right? He's coming in as conquering king, right? They think he's physically going to take down Rome. And so what do they do? They start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means like salvation is found in God. Salvation has come to Israel today. Celebrate good times. Come on. It's a celebration. That is what they're saying. And they say things like this in Luke 19. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, guys like me, from the crowd told Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what did Jesus say? I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Friends, I don't want the stones to cry out. I want to give God the glory he's due. I want to give him joy. I want to bless his name when we speak the truth of his salvation that has come to us today. And I don't want to ever tell anyone to stop. If you, can, if you cannot go an entire day without thanking or worshiping God, then I would assert that you don't fully understand the depths of the gospel. Sorry, if you can go. You do not understand how much he has saved us from the sacrifice, that he has saved us from our own sin and death. And so this is our third point. Point number three. God's mercy continues forever throughout all generations. Verse 5, For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Now last week in Psalm 95, we talked about how we should celebrate the Lord because of the work of His hand. 
the depths, the oceans, the mountains. In Psalm 100, we are told to worship him because of his love and faithfulness. It's like you can worship some, like you can appreciate your parents for providing a home for you, but when it comes down to them loving you, that is something so much better. I know not all of us had good parents, but this, the father we worship, this God, he is a good father. Pastor Augustine Pagulo, he says this, what God does is always good, and he is the source of all good, including life itself. His goodness is revealed in his enduring love or his people, his faithfulness, and his relationship with them. Though his people repeatedly rebel against him, he is faithful to forgive and restore. So when we talk about generations, what does that mean for us? That God's love continues through generations. Well, friends, I think you might know where I'm going with this. This is teaching the gospel and administering justice. Also, this may sound self-serving, but we must teach our kids how important God's church is. I give this speech to my friends out of town, so I know my heart is pure. Whenever I give it to you, I suppose I can benefit from our church growing, but I want you to know that I believe that being in a consistent relationship with God's church, which he established, should be a priority. As a parent, I can be sarcastic at times, and now I tend to see it reflected in my kids. The kids at school curse a good bit. The music everywhere is telling my children how women should be treated as sex objects. Movies and the internet don't help, right? Sex and violence are everywhere, right? If we do not speak truth to our children constantly, if we do not show them what it's like to be involved in a church consistently, our faith is silent. As the world shouts at them all these things that are important, they will stand no chance if we don't realize how important it is to affect these generations now. We have an opportunity. Now Deuteronomy 7, 4 through 9 says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them with your children. Talk about them when you sit at the house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Now, we do know that some Jewish people would literally put the word of God on a little hat on their forehead to remember these words. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now, we have had a tagger in our community recently take that kind of like literally (laughs) that says God is good like all over our neighborhood. But um, The thing is, is this is telling us to make it a priority to let our kids know how important Jesus is. Like, not not just like once a week, but constantly. In the same way that we want to tell uh, all those that we have a burden for to know the love of Jesus, we have an unreached people group in our children. Now, it's important to look at this word, endures. God's love endures to every generation. When I think of that word, I consider something can only, something only endures when there's something against it, Right? Something doesn't endure in a perfect space where no wind or rain or anything touches it. No. The things that endure are the things that can continually receive threats. The songwriter of Amazing Grace, Isaac Watts, he wrote this about God's endurance. This is, this is gorgeous, but it's a little hard, Old English, so I'm going to read it twice, okay? Wide as the world is thy command, vast as eternity thy love, firm as a rock thy truth shall stand 
when rolling years shall cease to move. Can I read that again? Wide as the world is thy command, vast as eternity thy love. Firm as a rock thy truth shall stand, when rolling years shall cease to move. God's love is unshakable. But you have to understand that there are forces against your family, against your children, against the next generation. If you've raised your children terribly, though, let me say this to you. His love will still endure. (laughs) Now, the devil prowls like a lion, though, and his desire is to kill and destroy. The only way to help them stay firm is to firmly set your family on the rock that is Christ Jesus. The pylons at Crystal Pier endure sea and waves and ocean, right? Storms battle against them, but they continue. The pyramids of Giza endure, but even these will one day break down. But one thing that will never break down, one thing that will always endure, is God's goodness, his word, his truth, and his love. So God is not intimidated by time or elements. His plan for your salvation and those around you is not frightened by our cultural and religious climate. Why? Because he loves his children. And guess what? We were made with his hands. And he watches over us like a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Quick reminder of context. Who is God talking about here? Usually it's just Israel and it's not us. Like when it talks about Israel all throughout the Old Testament, we have to say, okay, first this is Israel. Second, this could apply to us. But here, what did we say at the beginning? Who does it apply to? All the earth. Let all the earth praise God. So we know this applies to us. There's no question. All the earth. So how could that be possible? Clearly, Israel is highly blessed, highly favored. How do we fit into that story? It's through the gospel. There was a time when it was Israel. That was it. That was it. God's blessing was on Israel. But there is a new Israel. When Jesus died on the cross, he welcomed everyone into his family. It says that there's no longer... Gentile or Jew, there's only one man called the Kainos, one new man in Christ, and that is all of us, friends. Now, you can doubt him. You can hate him, but I promise you, he'll still love you. He'll still care for you. He still has concern for you, and if you turn to him, it will still give him joy. The gospel is available for all of us today. Some of us have to remind ourselves every morning that the gospel is there, readily available to us. We may follow Jesus, but we may forget that we're in his family but it endures to the end, friends. Perhaps you've pushed away the idea of being a Jesus follower, but today you're feeling something different. If that is you, it's not too late. Well, today is still today. Confess your sins to God and repent. Tell him verbally that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and then make a statement to the world. Be baptized. If you're a believer and you've been struggling, perhaps today is the day you remind yourself of the gospel as well. And you just say to him, Jesus, I want to get back on track. Help me, Lord. Because we give God glory and we give him joy. And we give God glory because he's given everything for us. Isn't that such a good thing that we get to celebrate? So friends, today, um, as we sing, as we take uh, communion, might we bless his name. Might we find joy in what he's done for us. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you Uh, that you are present with us. We thank you that you aren't going anywhere. We thank you from the beginning of time, you knew us. You knew our sins, you knew our struggles, you knew everything we do wrong, and you looked at us, and you didn't look at us in a condemning nature because you knew what would happen at the cross. You had predestined it before time began. 
So God, those of us who would hold our sins so tightly embarrassed to come into your presence, in the silence of our heart, we're going to confess them to you today. Just in this moment, would you receive our confessions? God, we thank you that as high as the heaven is above and the depths of the earth, that that's how great your love is for us. And when you look upon us, you no longer see our sins, but you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight. And you pronounce us good. So God, in this moment, we just want to gratefully say thank you. Not that we've deserved it. Not that we're any better than anyone out there that in your mercy you looked down upon us and saw us worth saving. And not just saving and not just worth creating, but coming alongside us and loving us and being present with us and being the good parent that maybe we didn't have. We love you. We thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name.